Welcome to the Locking Castle Podcast. This Sunday morning's teaching is part of the Bible in two years. Previously in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to bring us up to speed because there is absolutely no shame if you are not up to date. If you fall behind, that's all right, we're going to jump in. Chapter 15 of Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham, as Fab so wonderfully pointed out. This is a relational agreement, so it's not a very dry contract. It's between two people who care about each other. Uh, God promises to make Abraham's offspring as many as the stars, which is lovely. Not sure what I thought, but... In chapter 16, Abraham immediately ignores the covenant with God uh, and tries to create offspring with his own power by taking a second wife and having a son, Ishmael. We know exactly what Sarah thought of that. In chapter 17, God tries again, bless him, uh, and makes another covenant with Abraham. He changes his name, so Abraham, Abraham, same person. Uh, he He introduces circumcision, which is a lot more fun for me than it is for half of you. In chapter 18, Abraham's wife Sarah laughs at God, which I really wanted to preach on. The Lord said no. Uh, And Abraham tries to bargain with God, which goes far better than you would think, um, trying to make sure that two towns nearby, Sodom and Gomorrah, are not destroyed as long as God can find ten righteous people. In chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. Uh, This is for a sin which is truly terrible, and in Ezekiel, uh, we know that it's inhospitality. So if anyone says, oh, can I come round to yours? Say yes. (laughs) Immediately. Uh, It's it's very challenging, because Lot, Abraham knows Lot is in Sodom, and he thinks, well, Lot's got at least 10 people in his household, so as long as Lot is being righteous with God, I've done it, I've managed to save Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot has not done that, Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. Chapter 20, Abraham trusts God by lying to everyone around him, uh, that his wife is actually his sister, uh, that goes great until a king goes, well I'll have that, takes Sarah as his wife and God has to intervene and sort that out. Chapter 21, Isaac is born. This is Abraham and Sarah's son. You'll see me look at my notes because there's a lot of names in this section. Uh, Ishmael is welcomed in with open arms and kept in the family. No, he's thrown out. Ishmael's gone. Uh, Chapter 22, Abraham is then asked to kill his son, Isaac. Of all the things that Abraham could obey, this is the one. He goes off and decides to kill his son. Um, Thankfully, God intervenes just in time, which is a relief for everyone, but most importantly, Isaac. In chapter 23, Sarah dies and Abraham mourns. And in 24, Abraham finds a wife for his son, Isaac, which is Rebecca. And hopefully you can see where we're going here. Uh, Chapter 25, we see the death of Abraham and the birth of Isaac and Rebecca's twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Whew, still with me? Jacob barters with his brother Esau to gain the birthright of eldest son uh, because Esau was, and I'm quoting here, about to die for lack of lentil stew, which is not something I've experienced. I'm a vegetarian, so you'd think if anyone would be, it'd be me, but no. Chapter 26, Isaac trusts God by lying to everyone around him and telling everyone that, wait, his, we've, we've definitely done this, right? We've, he tells everyone that his wife is his sister. A king goes, are you sure? Because 
I've been burnt before, uh, God has to intervene. So already seeing here, this is a family that really learns its lessons. And chapters 27 and 28, which is today's reading, Jacob, once again, gets involved, tricks his brother Esau to gain the blessing of the eldest son from Isaac. Esau isn't best pleased. Jacob has to do a runner, and he has an encounter with God. Okay, that's the complicated bit. I can move that. So you're now all caught up. I have a little brother. I say little, he's six foot three with a beard. Um, But as the elder sister, it's my right to consider him 12 years old for the rest of his life. Um, And I very much was that eldest child who spent a lot of the time when young saying to my parents, who's your favorite? (laughs) Uh, Hi, mum and dad, you are watching us on Catch Up. Um, My parents had a very good answer to this. And that was that they loved us both differently. And this is not a story in which two people are loved differently in the way my parents meant. This is a story of two sons, one who is loved by his father and one who is loved by his mother, and unfortunately, never twain shall meet. This is a very messy family, and I hope my summary of the last week's worth of chapters has shown this is very much not what we expect. God's chosen family to act like. Our relationship with God is very much more like these people, though. Noah and Abraham, they did not have Jesus like the disciples. They hadn't met him. They hadn't seen God come down on earth. They had to live by faith. This is a God that they couldn't see and couldn't touch. And if you're anything like our life group, go life groups. Genesis is a really hard book, and I think it's really important to be honest There is a lot of really weird stories in this book. There's a lot of stuff that does not make sense. There's a lot of stuff that's really hard to unpick. This is partly because this is one of the few religious texts in the world that shows humanity as it is and not what it should be. God is really honest about us, that we are broken and we get things wrong. This is not a how-to manual throughout every single chapter. Part of the reason is also that the Old Testament and the New Testament were written by mostly two slightly different cultures. So the Old Testament is a very Jewish text, and Jewish style of learning and education at this time when it was written was about wrestling with really difficult questions and never reaching an answer. The New Testament was written much more in the Greek-Roman style, and that's very logical. It's got much more focus on mathematics. You have a problem, you apply a solution, and you resolve it. And that's why we often in the West, in 2024, find the New Testament easier, because that's the type of education system we've been brought up in. We face a problem, we have to solve it, and when we do, it's celebrated and we move on. So if you are struggling, I want to really encourage you, good, you're doing it right. You're meant to find this hard. You're meant to get to the end of it and go, ah. And you just wait. When we get to Leviticus, which I am super excited about, 
I am doing both of those Leviticus preachers one after another, as in one week and then the next week, so put it in your diaries, get ready. Very Jewish. There's lots of stuff we're going to wrestle with, and I do not have all the answers. I got some, but not all. Now, today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I can see the fear in all your eyes. I think most of us know the typical reading or how we read this story of, get the names right, Jacob getting his brother's blessing from Isaac, his father. And that is typically that Rebecca and Jacob are sneaky and deceptive and manipulative and they go in and they get what they can get and then they leave. And I'm not saying that's a bad interpretation or wrong. In many ways, it is absolutely true. But there are other ways to read this story. And what I want to do is kind of share a different reading with you. And then you can go away and wrestle with it, because they are both true. This is a Jewish reading. So this isn't from Jewish scripture. This is just someone who is Jewish and goes, oh, I think this is maybe what God is doing here. I think this is one way we could read it. And I can't promise. But this is a reading that existed before Jesus. So it is possible that this is one that he would have been raised with. So I think that's interesting for us to think about. I want to be really clear. I'm not intending to replace one way to read it. I'm adding to it. Are you all with me? Good. Andy, is that enough caveats? Great. I (laughs) just want to make sense. Okay, let's dive in. So Esau is the firstborn son, and that makes him the Behor. Say it with me. Behor. Behor. Okay, the Behor is the sole carrier of the responsibility for carrying on the legacy of the father. This was a pretty standard term in Jewish culture, in Jewish families. So whatever your father was like, you were meant to go and be that for the next generation. So if he was really outspoken and bold and direct and called people out, that was your family legacy. If he was very shy and quiet, that was your family legacy. The idea was to carry on what the father does. And Esau cares very little about this. I think it's okay to say, I think it's, you know, he just gives it away. He doesn't care about this responsibility. You have two sons in this family who are very different from each other. One loves being outdoors, one loves being at home. One is really loved by the father, one by the mother. One loves working with his hands, one likes working with the mind. They could have been opposites, but they've become opposed. And there is a break between these two men. Esau is very much a doer, and Jacob is very much a thinker. They're both very masculine, but in very different ways. So I have to say, I I do personally think that Esau is just as much a drama queen as Jacob. I'm going to die for like a stew. No, you're not. Sit down. (laughs) Now, Isaac, the father, has two blessings for his two sons. And blessings in the Jewish culture are very important. They are given once. They are usually given at near the end of that man's life. And he would have spent years, if not decades, praying over what they should be. Because they're not just a nice thing to say to your son. It's prophetic. It speaks into what their life is and should be. You can't take back a blessing. Isaac doesn't ask both of his sons to come to him and then to go away and get goats and bring him stew so he can bless his sons. He asks one son, his favorite. 
And Rebecca is desperate for both of his, their sons to be blessed. I think it's really fascinating that when the sons are born, the Bible tells us that they named Esau and he named Jacob. There's already a disconnect between mother and father. And actually, there is one reading that says that actually Rebecca disagrees with Jacob's name. She doesn't see him as grasping, she just sees him as the second born. That's what Jacob means, grasping. When he's born, he's grasping the heel of his older brother. And I really encourage you to go back and read chapter 27. At no point does Rebecca use Jacob's name. It's always my son. My son. Rebecca knows the blessing is coming and she wants to make sure that both sons are blessed. And so we have this moment. Go and get your own goats. Make your own stew and get your own blessing. When we read it, it says you can get his blessing, not Esau's, but Isaac's blessing for his second born. Jacob himself says, yeah, but what if my father mistakes me for Esau? Like, that's not what we're doing, right? Well, if it appears that way, because that's not the heart of this moment between mother and son. The heart is to get what's owed him, not to steal what is own, owed to Esau. It's an accidental consequence that they didn't see coming, and yet they do not prevent, because Jacob panics. And I would love to stand up here and say, I'm having never panicked in my life. I made a wrong mistake on the spur of that moment. I could, no, it's very human. We assume Rebecca is deceitful, but based on her words, it doesn't look like she is. It would appear to be. And then this is a tricky reading, and it is thousands of years old, and it doesn't, it's not speaking from our context, but I think it's really important to open our minds to the potential perspective that actually where it all goes wrong is where Isaac, who at this point is blind, goes, wait, are you Esau? That's the moment when Jacob sort of said, oh no, actually I'm, I'm, the, I'm the youngest son. I also would like my blessing today, please, as you're giving them out. Rebecca knows who Jacob is and she wants her husband to see both sons as valuable. That both sons deserve a blessing. She wants Isaac to realize that her youngest son is not a failure because he doesn't look like the type of son he wants. The trouble is, Jacob is clearly not ready, and I think we can say that with relative confidence. We see Rebecca trying to encourage Jacob and build up his self-esteem. You want to be a doer? You want to feel like a doer like Esau? That's fine. Wear his clothes. You feel what it's like to be a doer. Wear goatskins. Feel like him. Step into this. Jacob is not ready, and he falls into deception. Jacob is literally not comfortable in his own skin. Now in this reading, the family feels a little bit different. This is a dysfunctional family, not a deceitful one. As a son who doesn't feel like he's enough, a mother who wants to build bridges between a father and a son who are estranged. But she's doing too much. She cooks the meal. I'm not a mother myself, but I'm... I know that many parents are desperate to help their children and will step in and do it for them because I can do it, I know what you need. Jacob isn't ready to be a doer 
and he doesn't do anything. Now, there is a very academic approach and, and takeaway from this sermon, and it might be that that's where you are, that actually there's a very different way to read this story and a very different way to understand how this family is working. And if that's what God's laying on your heart, fantastic. We love the academics. But it could be time to call for a heart change. Jesus might, I don't want to say he did, but it's very likely that he knew of this reading. And it really, for me, puts a different perspective on Jesus begging God to change the plan in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't want this blessing. <laughs> Is there any way we can change the plan? Jacob is someone that has never been enough, even for the mother who loves him. And we don't have to resolve this drama, because it's so realistic to families that we all know and potentially are in. Jacob runs away at the end of chapter 28, and he goes to sleep in the middle of nowhere, and he has a dream. And God who is a character who has not yet appeared in this story, and arguably probably should have done. God does not say, well done, Jacob, that was exactly what I wanted you to do. He does not say that Jacob's done the right thing, but he does say that he will not leave him. Our mistakes do not lose God's love. The story took a turn for the worse, but God does not abandon the story. He blesses Jacob. Right at the time when you'd expect a little telling off and go back and apologize to your brother. God, Jacob's response is that of awe, but it's still very conditional. If God will do all this, then I will. And I really encourage you to read back that. Jacob has this whole speech to God and saying, right, if you protect me, and if you look after me, and if you give me food and drink, and if you bless me. This is very much a negotiation from a family that has always attempted to barter with God. Many of us here are doers, or thinkers, or feelers, or leaders, or creatives, or solvers. There's something about us that God put in us that is good, and we lean in one way or the other. But I think if we're really honest, some of us have suffered because of that. Because of other people's expectations on us of not being enough. Why aren't you more like? Why aren't you quieter? Why aren't you louder? Why aren't you more direct? Why don't you think more before you act? Why don't you do more about it then? Why aren't you more like your brother? your husband, your colleague at work, so-and-so from life group. And that is really painful to hear. Even if it's never said that directly, I think most of us have had a moment where we think, so I'm not enough. If only I was more like so-and-so. If only I could be more like that person. And sometimes we try to put on their clothes. We try to be like that person we're compared to, and we try to be better. We try to be more, more of a doer, more of a thinker, more of a feeler. 
And if that is you, then I'm really sorry, because that's really hard. And we want to pray for you. We've got a wonderful prayer team. We've got loads of people in leadership here, Kat and myself. Because you should not have to bear that weight. Because if I'm perfectly honest, that leads to moments in panic when you make poor decisions. And I say that as someone who has done that. But I also want to use this as a time to call for repentance. Because I think if we're really honest, we have been that person in someone else's life. We have said to someone, why aren't you more like so-and-so? Why can't you just be better at this? Why aren't you more of a doer? Why aren't you more of a thinker? Why don't you understand how I feel? My brother's best friend would never do that. And we say it, and it's so quick to say, and we don't even notice it sometimes, but we have harmed others. And that's hard. This is a very hard preach for me to give, uh, partly because this is something that I have been processing as someone who has harmed someone in my life, and this is something I've been processing for months. Darn you, Lord, teaching me first. <sighs> it's not easy. It's really hard to look at yourself and go, oh, I'm the problem. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. We share the birthright of God's firstborn son. His before was Jesus. And Jesus, as God's before, was called to live on the legacy of his father, and when Jesus died and rose again and brought us into the family, we all bear that responsibility to live out God's legacy. And that is a weighty responsibility. We don't do it, we don't do it alone. Look around. All of us here bear that. We really have to look at ourselves and think where are we pained? And where have I caused pain? And I'm going to ask the band to come up, if that's okay. Thank you, band. You're amazing. Um, because I want to have a little bit of time for reflection. I don't want us to rush away from this place. So the band are going to play, and then they'll invite us to stand. So when they start playing, please stay seated. They will invite us to stand after this time of reflection. And then we'll sing together as a body, who knows that God's blessings come even when we get it wrong that his love is not removed, as a family who knows that sometimes there are things not right and that we need to put them right as God's before. And that requires repentance. And that just means a change of direction. It's not complicated. I don't want to over-spiritualize it. It just means I'm going this way, I'll go that way. Because that's a better path. And it requires a meeting with God. And I just want to end with Jacob's words after he made a mistake and he tried to be something that he wasn't and he harmed someone. This is what he says after he meets with God. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.